0: Welcome to the sermons of Steve Galloway, pastor of First Baptist Church, Macon, Mississippi. Let us join together and study God's Word and apply it to our hearts so that we may learn His truths and live faithful, obedient lives. May God bless our time together. Let me invite you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 17, verses 13 through 21. John chapter 17, verses verses 13 through 21. We're continuing our study of the high priestly prayer of Jesus found in this chapter. Allow me to read this passage. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that you may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of this world, even as I am not of this world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctified myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who also believe in me through their word, that they may be as one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Let's bow together. Dear Lord, open our hearts to these truths. Help us to see how Jesus has prepared the way for us to live for you. Lord, sanctifying us, setting us apart for service to you. Lord, not to be isolated from the world, but to be in the world, serving you as we live. Lord, may we be found faithful to the truths of these words. Help us, Lord, to live them out each and every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, Chapter 17, as I mentioned, is the great high priestly prayer of Jesus. He's praying this just a little bit before He goes into that Garden of Gethsemane. Verses 1 through 5, He's praying that uh, He would be glorified and then also that he, the Father would be glorified. This is accomplished as He faithfully lived in obedience to the Lord's command. His life, living a perfect life, an obedient life, and obedience all the way up to death, even death on the cross. His death on the cross is... Resurrection and His uh, ascension to the Father is all part of His glorification. In verses 6 through 12, Jesus prayed that uh, as He faithfully made known the nature the character of God the Father, that we would also see how secure we are in our salvation. In today's passage, He's kind of focusing on His disciples, those who are still followers of Him, and He is showing them who receive salvation, the re- results of their ministry. Now, the disciples really did not fully understand what was yet to come. Remember, they're worried that when Jesus leaves they won't have anybody to follow. They won't know what to do. But Jesus, in His last words, tells them to remain in Jerusalem and wait for the Spirit to come. And then when the Holy Spirit came upon them, they were filled with the Spirit, and then they knew... All that they needed to do to share the word with others, and so what Jesus is praying here is that his disciples would be found faithful, filled with the Spirit, sanctified, set apart for this ministry, so that others would hear the word and they too would receive salvation. Believe it or not, two thousand years later is still holding true. That's why we're here today. That's amazing, isn't it? So we look and we see that God separated those men for a specific purpose and Jesus is praying that we too will be separated, sanctified, set apart so that we will be used by Him in this world around us. He did not want us to be isolated. Uh, You know we, we hear about the monks that that go off into a monastery and they live totally separated from the rest of the world so that they can focus on their relationship with God but According to what Jesus said, He is not calling us to be out of the world, separated from the world. He wants us to be in the world to serve Him, to make a difference. So, first thing we see is in verse 13. That they may have my joy. Jesus was a man of joy. Not always. Sometimes we see that uh, foretelling from the prophet that he would be a suffering servant. And he was as as he was approaching the cross. Even as he was uh, approaching Jerusalem uh, a week ago, he he wept over Jerusalem. He was sorrowful for the people who would still reject him. And he wept in the Garden of Gethsemane. So he was a man of sorrow, but he was also a man of joy. His earthly ministry was filled with joy. I don't think he walked around with a sad face of groaning, a moaning of this isn't working, that isn't working. He found joy in the Lord. And he wants us to find that same joy. So John happens to have quite a few verses of joy. As a matter of fact, joy is a major theme in the book of John. Let me read just a couple passages. John chapter 15 verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that you may have my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Then a passage we dealt with not too long ago. John 16, verses 20 through 22, Truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice, and you will grieve. But your grief will be turned into joy. Whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain but because of her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that a child has been born into the world. Therefore, you too have grief now. But I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one will take your joy away from you. So, Jesus is praying to the Father that God would fill us with the same joy that He had given His Son Jesus. That joy, again, is a constant in uh, the Gospel of John. Joy is something that Jesus wants us to possess. Now, we receive it. As we face trials that 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 doesn't sound right does it we receive it as we face the trials and the tribulations of life how do we receive joy by facing trials because he proves himself to us that he is with us he is our source of strength our guidance and everything that we need as we face our trials that's how Paul and Silas were able to sing songs of praise because they were filled with joy, even though they were in a dungeon because of their preaching. Many of Jesus' followers were filled with joy. They were filled with joy when they were accused for preaching and put in prison. They said, thank goodness we're being persecuted just like Jesus. We are now feeling found faithful to the Lord because we now are being persecuted like he. And it brought them joy. So we receive joy as we face trials and find our trust in Him. So that He will guide us through those trials. It's revealed as we're transformed. Transformed to no longer be servants of the flesh, Satan. But now to be servants of the Lord. So we receive it. And it's revealed to us as we become a true child of God. So we look and we see, uh, going into verse 14, that... He makes this known by what He says. I have given them your word. Now, what word did Jesus give His disciples? He gave them the exact words that God the Father had given Him. See, it goes like this. God the Father gives His Son, Jesus, the words to share. Jesus shares those words with His disciples. Then His disciples, under the inspired uh, Holy Spirit, wrote those words for us to have so the very words that are on the heart of god came through jesus the son to the disciples into the word of god to us isn't that amazing think about how wonderful it is what a privilege it is that we have the word of god these are god's words to us jesus shared the words and he said many times I speak nothing of my own accord, but only what the Father gives me to share. That's what he is saying here. I have given them your word, Father. So it's not just some man's thoughts of what might be right for us to do, but it is God's word directly to us. So we have this inspired word that through the generations has been treasured, has been protected, and now you and I have it in our very hands. Let's not take it for granted. What a wonderful treasure we have. It's divine in origin. It's a precious gift from God. Then the result of receiving the word. You would think that by receiving this word, the word of God, that everything's going to be wonderful, right? That's not what Jesus says. I have given them the word, and the world has hated them. That's That's the result of us receiving the word of God the world hates us. Why? Because the world rejects the Word of God, the world rejects Jesus, the world rejects God, and when we stand and proclaim the Word of God, when we stand as a child of God, they hate us because we represent something that is contrary to their way of life, their way of thinking. Now, when we look at this, that is the result. Hatred of Christianity has been around since Christianity began. When the people were first called Christians, it was very early in the ministry of Christianity, and most of those who opposed Christianity thought that it was just a fad like many other things that had risen up and fallen away through the decades and the centuries. They thought that this would just be another kind of an offshoot of Judaism that would just fade away. But it didn't fade away. matter of fact, it mushroomed. It caught like wildfire. It spread throughout the known world at a very, very rapid pace. And so as it spread, so did opposition. Here's some interesting facts. By 325 A.D., just a few centuries after Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, there was an estimated 7 million people. Christians in the Roman Empire 7 million now that's not a big number according to our world population today but that day that was quite a number of people especially for a small sect of religious-osity but in just a few centuries Christianity and mushroom an estimated 7 million in the Roman Empire there's also an estimated that during that period of time, 2 million of those 7 million were killed because of their faith. 2 million out of 7 million were executed because of their faith in Christ. That's called persecution. They died a martyr's death. That shows us that the world hates Christianity. Now, 2 million died. That does not count the countless others who were persecuted and suffered persecution because of their faith. They just didn't die. They weren't put to death, but they, their land was taken away. They were made nothing in society. They couldn't buy or sell or anything because they were nobody in society. Because the world hated them. So we look and we see that this opposition to Christianity has been around since Christianity began. Did you know it's still alive and well today? and it's growing at an exponential rate in our very own country. There's one simple reason for this. Jesus said it. The world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. See, we are no longer children of this world. We're now children of God. This world is no longer our home. Heaven is our home. But God has chosen to leave us here for a reason. We'll get to that in just a moment. But the world hates us because it has rejected Jesus. And those who reject Jesus are under the control of Satan. And here's the simple fact that we need to understand in our world today. Satan blinds those who reject Jesus. Let me read a passage of scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 4. In whose case the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ who is the image of God. They cannot see the truth that's sitting right before them. They cannot see the truth of the Word of God because they have rejected the Word of God. They cannot see the joy in our hearts as Christians because they have rejected Christ. So they reject anything that we believe in. That's where our world is today. There's going to be a growing rage against the Christians. If you're not seeing it, you're not listening to the news, everything that's happening in our society is anti-Christian, and it's going to get worse. I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm just reading the scriptures and relating it to what is happening today. The world hates us because we are His children, because we have His Word. So we look and we see that there truly is a world, um, a war against good and evil, light and darkness, godliness and ungodliness. Now, why are we still here? Wouldn't you love to think that the moment that you gave your life to Christ, that we would just be escorted immediately into heaven? Wouldn't that be wonderful? where we just get away from this evil world, this evil society that's ran by Satan, wouldn't that be nice? Listen to what Jesus says. He says, I do not ask you, verse 15, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Jesus is praying to God the Father, God don't take them away, Don't take them to heaven. Don't give them an easy way out. Instead, I'm trusting you to keep them from the evil one. Now, immediately, our little self-centered thoughts say, okay, so God is promising that we won't face any suffering or persecution because he's going to keep us from the evil one. That's not what it means. It means that we will not be overcome by the evil one. Satan has no power over us. But there's still evil in the world, and we still live in the world, even though we're not of the world. So Satan desires to win us over. He's going to do everything he can to put obstacles in our path, to make us stumble, but there is nothing. The scriptures say there is nothing that can separate from the love of God, not even death itself. So if you're worried about someone killing you because of your faith in Christ, They cannot take your faith away nothing can take us away from the love of christ we must live with the confidence that we are his in this world that god is keeping us now does that mean that nobody is dying a martyr's death no that's still happening quite often in our world today maybe not so much in the united states but in some other countries is help is happening all the time it may start happening more and more even in our own nation but there is growing persecution but the way that god keeps us is that he gives us his strength, his wisdom his guidance his assurance that he is with us no matter what we where we are or the circumstances we find ourselves in and we can be found faithful to him, and Satan cannot overthrow us. He cannot overcome us with his evil. So we look and we see that Jesus lived his earthly life perfectly. We can't quite do it perfectly, but he showed us the way each and every day. He took the steps that nobody else would would take. He stepped out and did things nobody else would do, and he took the heat. He took the persecution, and he kept ongoing. He kept on being found faithful to the Lord. Then we see his followers. We, we, we read so much about Paul and his ministries. He, he went in so many areas and he was persecuted. He was stoned as up to death one time. And his disciples came around him and prayed and he got back up and went right back in the city and started preaching again. That's what God can do to keep us. Then verses 17 through 19, he focused on a word that is a church word, sanctify or sanctification. It's not a word you hear out in the world very often, is it? What does it mean? It simply means to be set apart. To be set apart for a specific reason. Jesus is saying, first of all, for their sake, I sanctified myself. But going back to verse 17, he's saying, sanctify them. In the truth. How does that happen? Your word is truth. Sanctify them, Lord. Set them apart in the midst of this world. In other words, they still live in the midst of this evil world. I want you to sanctify them. Set them apart from this world. No, not to live in a commune. Not to live in a monastery. But to set them apart for a purpose. For a reason. For a ministry. And that ministry is found here. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. If you don't know how to live for Christ, you need to read His word. It shows us each and every day how to live out His will. All we need to do is read the the Gospels, read uh, Paul's letters, read Peter's letters, read just read the word of God. It's going to show you how to live, how to live by faith with assurance that God will use you for your, His honor and glory. so How do we become sanctified? Through the Word which is truth. The Word of God is our manual to live by. God sent His Son Jesus into the world to make a difference. To make a difference through His life, through His death, through His resurrection to save us from our sins. Now Jesus sends His disciples into the world to make a difference. Uh, I don't know if y'all ever took chemistry, but there's always these little formulas that you put together, and you had these little beakers filled with different solutions, and a lot of them were clear. And you could put one clear solution into another clear solution, it would turn purple. It was called a change agent. It would change the molecular structure of what, what it met with. Well, that's basically what Jesus is telling us to be, to be separated from this world, to be change agents. To do just like Jesus did to live in such a way that changes the environment around us so he wants us to live for him to be to take the word that God had given him that he gave his disciples that his disciples wrote so that we could have to take these truths God's word is truth that is what sanctifies us and to take those words as our guidance to live in a way that changes the world around us. That's what Jesus leaves us here to do, to make a difference. So we look and we see that Jesus is praying for our own sanctific- sanctification, setting apart, making us set apart for the work of God. Then look at verse 20 and 21. Allow me to read these. I do not ask on behalf of those alone. In other words, those followers who were with him physically at that moment. But for those also who believe in me through their words. That's you and that's me. This has been happening for 2,000 years. His disciples kept sharing the words that God gave Jesus, that Jesus gave them. Now they are sharing that word with others. God inspired many of them. To write those words so that we can have them. And now Jesus is actually praying for us. I'm not just praying for those on behalf of those right here. These alone. But for those who will believe. Is basically what it's saying. Because of their word. We are the part of the world that will believe. And has believed because of their word 2,000 years ago. That's amazing. You tell me some other fact that happened 2,000 years ago that's still impacting the world today. He is the truth. He is the life. He is all that we need. You and I as children of God 2,000 years later are still reaping the benefits of what Jesus is praying in verse 20. Jesus continues to pray that we all as His faithful followers will be united. Look at verse 21 that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Here's Jesus' prayer. It's a prayer of unity. It's a prayer that as believers come, as they accept his gift of salvation, and as they surrender to His Lordship, that they will become one. And we call it the family of God. Children of God, each and every one of us as a, as a Christian has be, be, been adopted into this one family. And God wants us to be one. It's amazing, uh, the, the message I'll be sharing this Wednesday night out of 1 Peter has this same exact message. Unity. Jesus is praying for unity among the believers. He wants us all to be one. Unfortunately, that's not always the case, is it? There's a lot of arguing, backbiting, and all sorts of other problems within the churches. But the church, the, child of, the children of God, the family of God, needs to be one, just as God the Father and God the Son are one. He's saying, I want us all to be this part of this one single family, that believes together, that faiths together, that lives together, that serves together. We are to be one. The only way this can happen is if we love one another just like he's commanded us to do. And as we forgive one another, and as we serve one another, keep using the word one and you'll finally understand what he is saying here. So we look and we see that we're to be one family. This was Jesus' prayer. He's praying for us in this passage, for you and for me. I want to do something a little different today. Take your Bibles and look at this passage of Scripture. John chapter 17, verse 13 through 21. And pretty much anywhere you see the word they or them, substitute your name. Make it personal to yourself. Because that's exactly what Jesus was praying that day. He's praying for us. Verse 20 includes us as those who believed in Him. And like I said, some 2,000 years later, it still is true. I'm going to read this passage of Scripture. I'm going to substitute my name in. So every time you hear Steve or him, substitute your name and your pronoun. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that Steve may have my joy made full in him. I have given Steve your word, and the world has hated him, because he is not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take Steve out of the world, but to keep him from the evil one. Steve is not of this world, even as I am not of this world. Sanctify Steve in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent Steve into the world. For Steve's sake, I sanctify myself, that he also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of Steve alone, but for those also who believe in me through his word, that they may be all one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so the world may believe that you sent me. Let me challenge you to go home this week and reread this passage of scripture. Write it out if you need to, copy it from a computer, whatever you need to do, and substitute your name in there. I tell you what, it's a powerful thing. It'll humble you. If it does not humble you, there's something wrong with your spirituality. You really don't have a true relationship with the Lord. This is humbling to realize that 2,000 years ago, as Jesus was preparing to go to the Garden of Gethsemane, as Jesus was preparing to die for my sins and for your sins, he prayed specifically for me and for you. Let's bow together. Dear Lord, your word is true. Lord, we realize that we fail you so often. Help us, Lord, to be convicted of our failures and allow you to cleanse us, purify us, set apart anew so that we might serve you faithfully. Lord, how humbling it is to know that as Jesus was approaching the cross, we were on his mind. Lord, he was focused on those followers that were present with him. But he also saw into the future those who would come to faith because of their words. words that your father gave Jesus. And Jesus gave them. And they gave us. Now, Lord, we have that exact same word. And you want us to live as one. Loving one another, serving one another, forgiving one another. And as a result, your word says, so that the world might see through them. Lord, there are many in the world who have been blinded by Satan. But Lord, as long as there is a breath still in them, there's hope. Lord, help us to live in such a way that they will see your love in us. But Lord, help it not just be our lifestyle, help us to share the word, the word that is true with those who need to hear it. Lord, salvation comes from hearing your word, from your spirit, Holy Spirit's taking your word and divinely drawing others to accept it. Lord, you have set us apart for that purpose. May we be found faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.